You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Title of the message is The Fall of Man. And what a fall. Oh my gosh. Uh, We're going to see just how huge of a fall it is. Uh, We're going through the book of Genesis verse by verse. I think we're in like eight or so weeks right now of the study. And uh, here's what we've seen. We've seen God make the earth, speak it out of the, speak it into existence, time, space, and matter out of nothing. And he created all of it and he gave it to man. He places man in the perfect, beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden. And last week, we spent all of our time just looking at this amazing garden. Uh, uh, Imagine God creating a garden. I've seen some nice gardens, but when God makes a garden, oh my gosh. And it was, wow. I mean, it was amazing. Uh, The size of a country. Uh, It had just all the trees and everything that God had made, just it just was the perfect environment for man to be in. It had uh, a waterhead that was so lush, so luxurious, that it went into four major rivers. I mean, this was a giant garden. And there he put man that he had made, gave him all of the earth, said, rule over it, have dominion. I made it all for you. All of it reveals my glory. All of it is for your good. Enjoy. You are the king of all of it, king and queen of all of it. Rule over it. And he marries Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden that he has made for them. And what a beautiful picture. We saw that in this garden, last week we looked at this, God put all the trees, the lush vegetation. I mean, there were mighty cedars. There were just, you know, it's impossible for us to fathom the glory and the beauty. And he put all of the trees into four categories. Trees that were pleasant to the sight, and boy are they. Big, huge oak tree on a hot day and... Uh, just, you know, amazing. Trees that are pleasant to the sight, trees that are good for food, and oh, are they. And then uh, two trees with spiritual significance. A tree of life. A tree that they would partake of and not age. A tree that they would partake of and their bodies would be rejuvenated. A tree of life. We talked a lot about that last week. And the fourth tree uh, was a tree that was important to God. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, hey, Adam and Eve, I invite you into a relationship with me. I created all of the earth for you. I created you for me. And God invites them into a relationship with God. And God says, this will be the token of our relationship. If you want to be in a relationship with me, 
Do not partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so uh, uh, we saw that uh, God gave it a very interesting name. We looked at this in depth last week. Uh, Did they gain any knowledge of good by partaking of that tree? Not a chance. Uh, They gained, no, no, God should have called it the tree of evil, right? That's all it was. Uh, But God calls it this. And we looked at this last week just as a way of review, super important. Here's what God was teaching. Here's what God is showing us. Here's what God was asking of them. Do not decide for yourself the knowledge of what is good and evil. Uh, uh, do, Do not let me do that. Why? Because you're not qualified. Well, I think it's okay if we... That's not the way this is going to work. If you want to be in relationship with me, let me say what's good and let me say what is evil. And this is something that man still wants to partake of today, right? We've got our ideas. Well, I think it's okay. We love, as long as two people love each other, that's all that matters. No, that's not all that matters. And that might seem right to you, but it'll end in heartache and heartbreak. And God has a far better plan. He's far wiser. And God says, hey, listen, don't do what is right in your own eyes. Don't don't decide for yourself the knowledge of good and evil. Instead, don't partake of that tree. Instead, let me decide what is good and evil. And here's what's amazing. God says, you can eat of every tree in the entire earth. You can do whatever you want. He marries them. You can make love. You can travel. You can ride a zebra. You can... Uh, climb on a Tyrannosaurus Rex. You can do anything you want. You can slide down the waterfalls. You can do anything you want. It's all good. The only thing I don't want you to do is to partake of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And you say, why, God? Why? Why would you ruin this perfect earth with that tree? Why even put it there in the first place? Here's why. Your relationship with God is that important to him. God made you with an incredible capacity to be able to understand his great love for you. To understand the, and, and, and fathom just the glory of who God is. He made you for that. He gave you the capacity to understand him. And he gave you the tree of knowledge of good and evil so that you can respond to his love. He gave you the capacity to understand his love. And he gave Adam and Eve the tree of knowledge of good and evil so they could respond to his love. Uh, I have been married now for 36 years. I have a wedding ring. Tell me, does this wedding ring mean that I love my wife? No. This wedding ring is merely a symbol. It's merely a token of the vows that I made to her to love her in sickness and in health. In adversity and in prosperity. Uh, It's a symbol of the vows that I made. And that tree was a symbol of the relationship that man had with God. You can choose to be in relationship with me or you can choose to go against me. And so this is the perfect garden that God has set. 
And in having this capacity, man now has the ability to have a real and genuine and intimate relationship with God, which was the whole reason that God made man and the entire universe for that relationship. And so these are the, uh, the, the Garden of Eden. This is God's plan. This is what God designed. And there, Adam and Eve dwelling in it in all the glory, walking and talking with God in the cool of the day, abiding in him, able to ask him any question, enjoying an intimate relationship with each other and with their creator uh, the way God designed it to be. And now today, we will look at the fall of man. And I tell you, it is a tragic fall. Uh, are you there in Genesis 3? Uh, follow along as I read. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Uh, let's stop there for a second. What do we learn? The serpent is more what? Cunning than any beast of the field. The most cunning creature that God ever made. Uh, we know that this serpent is Satan. And Satan is a, a spiritual being and he, he, he manifests himself in this serpent. We don't know what serpents look like then. Uh, we know what they look like now after they fall, but they were probably a glorious creature before the fall. And he manifests himself in a serpent. And God says he's more cunning than any beast of the field. What does cunning mean? Well, I have a definition for you on your screens. Take a look at this. Uh, let me hear you read this. Uh, a loud voice together. Uh, cunning. Having or showing skill in achieving one's ends by deceit or evasion. Interesting. And the serpent was more cunning than any creature ever made. I want you to know we have a very worthy adversary. He is brilliant. He is way smarter than we are. And he is the most cunning creature that has ever been created. Uh, that sets the stage of where we're going. Uh, and he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Uh, do you notice what happens here? Has God said you should eat of every tree of the garden? First thing I want you to see there is a relationship with this, with uh, the, the devil is not Freddy Krueger, Friday the 13th, ee, 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 right? Not like that at all. As a matter of fact, it's very subtle. As a matter of fact, he's talking about who? Talking about God. Talking about God's word. He's even quoting God's word. Has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He actually uses all the words of God's word and he just twists them a little bit. God actually said that, but the order of the words was different. He said, you can freely eat of every tree of the garden. 
Every tree in the entire world you can have. You can do anything you want. There's only one thing. But Satan twists it here and notice the implication. Has God said you should not eat of every tree of the garden? A subtle hint that God is holding back from you. That you could have so much more if you didn't follow God. A subtle hint. And look who he's talking to. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. She's probably like, no, he didn't say it. We can, we can eat the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. What's interesting is that it would appear that Eve adds to God's word right here. When God spoke to Adam, we don't read anything of him saying, touch it. We only read of him saying, you shall not eat of it. And God, excuse me, Satan now talking to Eve. Why is he talking to Eve? Why isn't he talking to Adam? Here's why. He's the most cunning creature that was ever made. And he knew that Eve was made differently than Adam. He knew that she was way more emotionally in tune and emotionally gifted than Adam was. He knew that Adam was more uh, mechanical, more engineering, more... And he wants to appeal not to that side. He wants to appeal to the emotional side. And he comes to Eve and he's trying to appeal to her emotions to get her, hey, has God said? And maybe God's holding back on you. And how much of God's word do you know? And she adds a word, you shouldn't touch it. And now Satan goes, oh, that's good for me. I'm advancing on the, on the position. Why? Because now maybe she can touch it. And when she touches it, nothing will happen. And when nothing happens, and then she'll think, oh, well, maybe I can eat it and nothing will happen. And we see how dangerous it is, is to, to add to God's word. Secondly, why is she talking to Satan in the first place? That doesn't seem smart, does it? Can I ask a question? Why are you? I know Christians who pray to Satan. They say, Satan, I rebuke you, or Satan, whatever, stop passing. Not very smart to do. The Bible never tells you to go and say, Satan, I rebuke you. The Bible says, if you're having problems, call upon the Lord and let the Lord rebuke Satan. Do not be talking to Satan Period. Talk to who? Jesus. Talk to Jesus. And if you're having a problem with Satan, man, I get it. Talk to Jesus, right? Uh, here's what I know. Here's what I know about God, about this struggle between good and evil. God had already been prompting her long before she got into this conversation. Eve, what are you doing by that tree? 
Eve, what are you going there for? Eve, what are you looking for? Eve, what do you want? That small, still voice, the presence of God. Uh, oh, God is omnipresent. Oh, he's speaking to us. Uh, how many times has she been hanging out by that tree? We don't know. I doubt this was the first. How many times do we start getting close to what we shouldn't be in? Eve, why are you even there? Verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. It's really no big deal. This really isn't a problem. You're going to be okay. For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here, Satan is causing Eve to doubt the veracity of God's word. No, 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 no. It, you can eat it. The day you eat it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God. Getting her to doubt the veracity of God's word. Question for you. Is Satan lying to her? You're kind of quiet. <laughs> I want to hear everybody answer. Is Satan lying to, lying to her? Uh, how, many of you think there was, uh, how many of you think Satan is lying to her? I want everybody to vote. No, 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 no non-voters. Okay, if your hand's not up, you don't think she's... Okay. Uh, no, really, seriously, vote for me. How many of you think Satan's lying to her? All right. How many of you think Satan's telling the truth to her? How many of you aren't voting? <laughs> you want to know something wild? Satan is not lying to her. Look at this. Uh, jump over. We'll come right back to where we are. Jump over to verse 22. This is after they do it. Look what God says. Then the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. Isn't that exactly what Satan said? So was Satan lying to her? Well, not with his words, but with his motive. He wasn't lying to her with the exact legal words, but he was deceiving her. They did not become like God. That is not what God is saying. Here's what he's saying. Now, they, man has become, God speaking, like one of us, the triune Godhead, deciding what is good and evil. They should never do that. And now they are. Oh, it's not at all what Satan was representing, was it? And you and I, when we decide what is good and evil, we're being like God, deciding what's good and evil. And God says, do not do that. We see how deceptive he is. Does that, make, does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? Let's break some things down a little bit because here we have a talking snake talking to a woman. And so let's, let's deal with the question that's just gotta be in the room. Were Adam and Eve real people? Is this really real? 
Or is this just alle you know, allegorical mythology, right? Just a, a message that didn't really happen, but it's just like, you know, allegorical. Uh, well, God confirms that Adam and Eve were real people. I want you to know that Genesis goes through great lengths to tell us what Adam and Eve did, what Adam and Eve were thinking, what Adam and Eve said, what Adam and Eve felt. Uh, Genesis goes through great lengths to show us that Adam and Eve were real people and that this really happened. Genesis tells us the names of the kids that Adam and Eve had. So they had to be real people. Genesis tells us how old Adam was when he had his first son. So he had to be a real people, a real person. Genesis tells us how old Adam was when Adam died, 930 years. So Genesis goes through great lengths to show us that Adam and Eve were real people. The whole Bible does the same thing, by the way. In the book of Luke, we have the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And guess where that genealogy goes back to? Starts with Adam. Adam and Eve had these kids, and you can track the genealogy all the way to Jesus. Uh, why? Because Adam and Eve were real people. They had a lineage. Jesus spoke about Adam and Eve as real people. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was God in human form. God became a man. He should know. And he talked about Adam and Eve when, when he taught about marriage and divorce. And he talked about the first marriage that he performed over their wedding in the Garden of Eden. And he spoke of them as if they were real people. And equally as important, uh, Paul and uh, the, the New Testament writers would build a theology called substitutionary atonement. It means that when I deserve death, something else takes my place. Uh, and they would say that that substitutionary atonement is built all on the fact of Adam and Eve being real people. It goes something like this. There's a theology that says sin entered the world through one man. And that righteousness entered the world through one man. The first man is Adam. The second man is the second Adam. His name is Jesus. Uh, and uh, uh, here's why it matters. Well, from that first man, we inherited something. What did we inherit? Sin. How many of you chose to say, oh, I'll take an inheritance of sin, please. I'd like a double portion in my inheritance. No, none of us would choose to have an inheritance of sin. You inherited it from a man. I want you to know something. The Bible would say, God actually allowed that to happen for your blessing. You see, Adam, after Adam and Eve sinned, God could have said, sorry, Adam, Adam and Eve, I'm done with you. I'm going to make Bill and Sue, and we'll see how they do. <laughs> and Billy Boo Hoo, right? Uh, God didn't do that. Why? Why? Here's why. It is to your benefit that you inherited sin. You ever heard that in a church before? It is. Why? 
because it would be unjust for God to allow you to inherit righteousness if you from a man if you didn't first inherit sin from a man. This is complex. This is for high level thinking. So track with me for a second. I'm going to go fast. God is just. What does that mean? It means that God always does what is right. He's a just God. God is also loving. God is also kind. God is also merciful. But he's not sometimes loving, kind, and merciful, and then sometimes just. He's always all those things at the same time. Let me ask you this. If there was a rapist and a murderer and a thief, and he had hurt people badly, and he stood before a courtroom, and the judge said, you know what, I'm going to take all your punishment, and I'm going to let you go free. You would say that was kind, you would say that was loving, you would say that was merciful, but would you say that was just? I wouldn't either. I would say you're an unjust judge. And you know what? Satan would say the same thing in the courtroom of you and I. You're going to let David go free of all of his sin? Are you kidding me? After what he did? And you're going to give him the righteousness of Jesus Christ as a free gift? God, you're loving. God, you're kind. God, you're merciful. But God, you are not what? just and he would be right he would be right he would be I'm going to use this word damn right because I would I would deserve damnation and it would be unjust for God to give me the righteousness of Jesus Christ free are you kidding me that's not just and Jesus our defense attorney would stand up and say, excuse me, how did David receive his sin nature? Answer, he inherited it from a man. Therefore, Jesus would say, it is just for me to allow him to inherit a righteous nature as long as it comes from a man. And now you understand the gospel more fully. Now you understand why God had to become a man to purchase our redemption. And that theology is wrapped up in this sentence in Romans that Jesus is both just and the justifier of those who believe in him. On the cross, he made it just to pay the punishment of our sin because we inherited sin from Adam. And now we can inherit perfect righteousness from the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Wow, the wisdom of God. Who is like him? And the Bible tells us these things. 1 Corinthians 15 on your screens. Let me hear you read this. Just as death came into the world through one man, now the resurrection from dead has begun through another man. Let's look at that. Who's the first man that death came through? 
Who's the second man that re the resurrection comes through? Jesus. Yeah, let's go on. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. There is only one way into the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. Going to church won't bring you into the kingdom of God. Saying 10 Hail Marys won't bring you into the king of, kingdom of God. Uh, Reading your Bible won't get, bring you into the kingdom of God. Only one thing will bring you into the kingdom of God, being born again. How are you be born again? You say this, Jesus, I believe that God so loved the world that he became a man and died on a cross in my place. And if you love me that much, I want to know a God like that. I appreciate what you did for me, Jesus. And I want to know you. Will you save me? And Jesus says, yes and amen. It is my great pleasure. Uh, uh, look at this next verse in uh, Romans 5. Uh, look at this. For if, read with me, for if by one man's offense many died, how much more the grace of God and the gift of eternal life by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, will abound to many. Here's what he's saying. Hey, if by one man's sin, Adam, his offense, everyone in Adam died. How much more by the one man and by the grace and mercy of God, Jesus Christ, will the gift of eternal life be given? Just how much more? Infinitely more, right? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so here we see that our theology about Adam and Eve matters. And if Adam and Eve were not real people, then our theology is messed up. And if our theology is messed up, our relationship with God is messed up. And if our relationship with God is messed up, our relationship with each other is messed up, and our life is messed up, and it matters. Adam and Eve were real people. We did not evolve from chimps, from monkeys. And if you believe that, someone's trying to make a monkey out of you. <laughs> Right? Uh, these things matter. And here we see this is a real uh, uh, historical account of what happened at the fall of man. Uh, here we see something in this story. We see clearly that Satan hates humans. And he cunningly devises plans to harm them. How diabolical this plan how deceitful this plan. Here's the question. Why? Why does Satan hate man so much? What did Adam and Eve ever do to Satan? Answer? Nothing. Why then does Satan hate them so much? The answer might surprise you. It is because of the favor and the honor and the gifts that God bestowed upon man. It made Satan jealous. 
it made Satan say, I want to rule over man. I don't want man ruling over me. You see, God made Adam and Eve. We looked, I think, in Genesis 1. He made them and he gave them authority even over the angels with which whom Lucifer was a cherub. And Satan said, I don't want them having dominion on the earth. He gave man dominion over the entire earth. And he gave uh, authority to rule over angels. And he said, not a chance. And he says, I hate them. And he wanted, wants to usurp the authority that God has given them. Uh, if you weren't here with us, here's that verse that tells us on your screens. 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, here's Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. Let me hear you read this. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Here's the context of that verse. That, that verse was written to the church in Corinth. They were really immature Christians who thought they were really spiritually mature. Always dangerous. Uh, they thought they were so righteous. And they were babies in their faith. Uh, very dangerous. And because of that, they were suing each other. Hey, you owe me five grand. You know, I'm going to sue you. You didn't fill your end of the day. And they were suing each other. And Paul says, hey, why are you taking a brother to court? And why going to a court in front of a judge who's not even a believer? Isn't there a wise man among you who can uh, mediate this dispute? Don't you know that you're going to, what, judge angels? Shouldn't you be able to govern over small little things like money? He goes on to say, I'm getting off track, but he goes on to say, it is already an utter failure for you to bring a charge against a brother. Why don't you just let yourself be wronged? There's a concept, and there's a picture of spiritual maturity, by the way. Just let yourself be wronged and value a brother more than being right. Uh, but anyway, we're going to judge angels. Uh, and that's why Satan hates man. Uh, that's why he is against man. God gave great honor to man, set him over all of his kingdom, gave him dominion over all the earth, and even set man over the angels. Uh, and uh, uh, Lucifer is torqued, right? Hebrews uh, 1.14, another verse that shows this. Um, here's uh, another thing that uh, why Lucifer hates man, hates humans. Let me hear you read this. Are they, speaking of angels, not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? Who will inherit salvation? Who's he talking about? Humans. The heirs of salvation. The heirs of the kingdom. And angels are all ministering servants to help that happen. We have angels working in our midst to bring us, help bring us to Christ. There are also fallen angels to do, working to do everything they can to what? Keep a person from coming to Christ. 
Paul would say in Corinthians, do you not know that we wrestle against flesh, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against a spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places? Therefore, be wise. Realize the battle is spiritual. And Satan saying, I don't want to minister to that guy. I want that guy ministering to me. And I want you to know, if he can get Adam and Eve to sin, the kingdom is broken. And now, instead of Adam and Eve ruling over angels, what will happen? Satan will rule over Adam and Eve, and they will be servants of Satan. This is why Satan hates man. This is why he wants to harm man. Jesus said that Satan only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy all of God's plans for you. And that's what he's doing to Adam and Eve. He wants to rob them of all the dominion they have on the earth, of all the blessings that they have, of the ministry that God has called them to walk in, of the fellowship and the riches that come from being in fellowship with God. Satan wants to take all of that away from Adam and Eve. Now we get to a fascinating look at this. How does Satan go about harming Adam and Eve? If Satan wants to harm Adam and Eve, why doesn't he just do it? Why doesn't he just chop off their head? Why doesn't he just kill them? Why doesn't he? He can't. God does not give him that authority. God has a hedge of protection around your life. If he would lower that hedge of protection, Satan would wipe you out in a heartbeat. That's all explained in detail in the book of Job. I'd love to wipe out Job, Satan said, but you have a hedge of protection around him. But you take down that hedge and he'll curse you to your face. Oh, just let me attack him. He'll curse you. Uh, Satan can't touch man. And so what does he do? What kind of plan? How does Satan going to harm man then? What does he do here? Well, he tempts them to do what? To sin. Why? What good is that going to do? Here's why. Satan has no power over you whatsoever. But God's word has tons of power over you. And God said, in the day that you sin, the day that you sin against me with this tree, you will surely what? Die. Die. Satan heard those words and goes, that's what I want to get them to do. The only power Satan has over your life is to get you to break God's word and to suffer the consequences that come from sinning against God. And the consequences are huge. This is another really high in, you know, high thinking, deep passage. I'm only going to spend two minutes on it, so track with me if you can. I hope you can. I hope, I hope we can. This makes sense. I hope I can say it simply enough to make it make sense. Satan's only power over us is the word of God broken, the word of God disobeyed. That's what he's trying to get Adam and Eve to do. And here is what is really cool. Jesus already fulfilled 
all of the word of God on our behalf. Therefore, Satan has no power over us. And Colossians makes this very clear. Colossians 2. Let me see if you can digest this. Let me hear you read this. And you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Let's unpack this. You being dead, spiritually dead. Why? Because of your trespasses. What are those? Sins. And because the uncircumcision of your flesh. What does that mean? Uh, boys and girls, by the way. Uh, uncircumcision of your flesh. What's he saying? Your flesh controls you. You have an inability to cut, cut off your flesh, to deny your flesh. You're controlled by your flesh. And you being dead because of sin and because of the power of your flesh, he, Jesus, has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all of your what? Sins. Well, that's pretty amazing. Let's see what the rest of it says. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. Question for you. What's the handwriting of requirements that's against us? The commandments. Why are they against us? Because they're bad? No, because we're bad and we can't keep them. They're against us. They're contrary to us. He, Jesus, has taken those out of the way, having nailed all of those commandments that are contrary to us, nailed them what? To the cross. Oh my gosh. Look at the rest of this verse. Having disarmed principalities and powers. Disarmed, he took away all their power because the only power Satan ever had was to get you to break God's word. He disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them. That's angels and de uh, fallen angels, demons and Satan. He made a public spe spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And the it is the cross. Wow. Do you understand? That was deep. I know it was deep. Could you track with that? Did you catch that? Satan is getting Adam and Eve to trying to mess them up. How does he do it? He uses God's word. Jesus says, all of God's word is fulfilled on your behalf. He has no power over you. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Both just and the justifier are amazing king, King Jesus. There is none like him. I am in awe of how amazing he is. Uh, why does Satan want to harm Adam and Eve? Here's why. Because sin removed Adam and Eve from God's kingdom and placed Adam and Eve where? In Satan's kingdom. Sin caused Adam and Eve to lose the righteous dominion on the earth, an earth that's ruling in righteousness, and allowed now Satan to become the one who has dominion over the earth, and now Satan is ruling in sin and wickedness. Jesus called Satan the God of this age. And Adam and Eve went from having authority over to being a servant of Satan because of the fall. And that's what Satan was after. 
In Satan's kingdom, we no longer have authority over the angels. In Satan's kingdom, man is a servant of Satan, a slave of sin. Tell a liar to quit lying. Will he do it? No, he's a slave to it. Tell a luster to quit lusting. Will he be able to do it? No, he's a slave to sin. And that's what happens. We move from being in a kingdom of righteousness into a kingdom where we're slaves of Satan. Uh, It's hard for people to believe that if you're not in Christ, you're a servant of Satan. But that is the entire truth of it. Go out of church today and tell people, hey, you're a servant of Satan. See how that goes. (laughs) Don't do that, by the way. But it is the truth. And today, people think, people who uh, aren't making Jesus Christ the Lord of their life, uh, they're servants of Satan, and they don't even know it. Do you know why? Because he is more cunning than any creature ever made. And they think they're in charge, and he's like, you can think that all you want, baby. See you in hell, or I'll rule over you for eternity. This is the reality of what we're dealing with. Today, people think who who don't make Jesus the Lord of their life, think, well, I'm a good person. I'm not bad. I'm a good person. And, you know, if there is a judgment day, I'm not worried about it. If there is a God, when I stand before him, I think it's going to work out just fine because I'm a pretty good person. I try to do more good, you know, and I, you know, yeah, I mess up. I mean, everybody messes up. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Here's a, here's a tip for you, by the way. Didn't tell first service this. I do a lot of counseling, marriage counseling. That kind of if you're ever in my office and you say, well, nobody's perfect, you're in trouble. Because <laughs> I've done counseling for a lot of years, and I know that whenever anybody says that, there is a sinister motive behind it. Nobody ever expected you to be perfect. That was never even an issue. You're hiding something. I've never, I, I, I'm ruining myself telling you this because I get a lot of insight when I, I anyway. Uh, back, back to the sermon, David. But they say, hey, well, nobody's perfect, but hey, when I stand before God, uh, you know, I can do more. As a matter of fact, I got some questions for God. God, why did you allow this to happen in my life? And I want to know, and I'm, I'm going to ask God some questions. No, you're not. No, you're not. My friend, I want you to know something. You are not on trial. And when you stand before God, you are not on trial. Do you know why? The trial is already over. God has already determined All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. You are not going to stand before him and see how good you do. God has already judged you a sinner serving the enemy. And the trial is over. You're simply awaiting sentencing. And that is the truth of it. 
God has declared you a lost sinner, a servant of Satan. And Jesus made this very clear on the last week of his life as he was going to the cross. There's only days before he gets there. And he made this very clear. The trial is already over. Take a look, John 12, on your screens. This is Jesus speaking. Uh, again, a lot to take in. This is deep. Uh, hang with me. Uh, put your thinking cap on. Jesus speaking. He's going to the cross, and here's what he says. Read with me. Now is the judgment of this world. We'll stop there. What? Now is the judgment of the world? Yes. The fact that I need to go to a cross reveals that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The judgment is already done. The judgment was done before Jesus ever came to the earth. God had already determined that all are under sin and that all are on the enemy's camp. And even when we were enemies against God, God sent his son into the world that we might be born again and be taken from the enemy's team and brought on to God's family. Uh, now is the judgment of the world. It already is. It's happening. And now the ruler of this world will be cast out, Jesus says. Will be the ruler of this world? Who's the ruler of this world? Who's he talking about? Satan. Satan. Yeah. Adam and Eve had dominion and they lost it to Satan. Adam and Eve were the ruler of the world. Now they lost it. Satan is the ruler of the world. And Jesus says, now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. When? 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 He will be cast out by Jesus' work on the cross because Jesus is going to the cross so that he can take dominion of the earth back. What Adam lost, what Satan usurped from Adam, Jesus is going to go. He's going to live righteously, perfectly, without sin. Had to be perfect, a man living perfect without sin so that righteousness could come back to that man. And now the authority belongs to Jesus. And Jesus says... After I go to the cross, the ruler of this world will be cast out. And that does not happen until Jesus comes back in righteousness. And he is coming very quickly. If you were here Wednesday night, you are seeing how all the chess pieces are being perfectly aligned. Time is short. Get your walk right with Jesus because the king of kings is coming back and he will cast out the ruler of this world. That is the purpose of the seven-year tribulation, uh, by the way. And here's what Jesus says. And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Lifted up means the cross he's talking about, signifying what death he would die. He says, listen, uh, the, the world has already been judged. You're all sinners. That's why I'm going to the cross. There's no other way this cup can't pass I'm going to the cross and if I go to the cross I'm going to try to draw all people to myself and he's trying to draw you to himself right now he's reaching to you he's calling you he's bringing you to himself uh, that's his goal that's his desire for us um, and so here uh, uh, you know, God's word, just amazing. The judgment of this world is over. Here's the verdict. You're either in Jesus Christ or you're a guilty servant of Satan. There are no other positions. 
And King Jesus is coming back to gain, take dominion of the earth and to restore it. Know how, notice how sinister uh, Satan's plan is here. Look what he says. Uh, he's more cunning than any beast of the field. Has God really said you shouldn't eat of every tree of the garden? God's holding back on you. He's talking about God. He's bringing God language, but he's, dece he's deceiving uh, uh, God knows you're going to be, and it's all a lie. Look what happens, the fall of man, the very moment in time. Uh, we study these things because Corinthians tells us, hey, do not be ignorant of his devices. Look at how he works. Don't fall for his deception. Uh, look what happens. Here's the fall. One verse, the fall of man. Here it is, verse 6. The entire fall of man in one verse. Is that not crazy? Uh, verse 6 is the fall of man. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food that it was pleasant to her eyes. That as a tree desirable to make one wise, it appealed to her pride. Satan fell by his pride. Eve fell by her pride. We are easily deceived by our pride when we start thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Do not do it. That's what Satan appealed to Eve with, and he deceived her. She was already great because she was a daughter of God. When she thought that she would be wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Here it is, the fall of man. Eve was deceived. She believed that sin was better than obedience to God. She thought the forbidden fruit looked better to her than everything that God had prepared for her. What a deception. And suddenly her emotions were excited. She thought, wow, this looks so good. This sounds so good. It's going to make me wise. She was deceived. She thought, wow, maybe God's way isn't the best. Maybe this other way is better. Maybe God is holding back on, on me. Hey, I want you to know if you're single here and you are thinking, you're looking and you're going, hey, maybe I can have it now. God says, no, 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 no. Don't think your way is better. I have good things planned for you. Just stay in my plan. Whatever it is you're facing, man, stay on the plan. Here we see the fall of mankind. And man's rebellion against God begins. And it's continued on from this day forward. Man is still rebelling against God. What Eve set in motion, Adam confirmed. And together they willfully sinned against their creator. Adam and Eve's decision was created in a state of rebellion between man and God. And now Righteousness will no longer reign on the earth. Now sin will, will reign and dominion is lost because they decided for themselves what was good and what was evil. What a tragic story, man. And the price of sin is high as we're going to quickly see. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Well, Satan said that would happen. And it did. What were their eyes open to? More wisdom? More intelligence? Are they far better now? No. What were their eyes open to? To the pain of their mistake. 
Their eyes were opened to the guilt they're experiencing. Uh, Look at how severe this loss was. The eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. They were once clothed with the radiant Shekinah glory of God. The very light of God once radiated from them. They were clothed with God's righteousness and perfection. They didn't try to love. They were loved. They didn't try to be nice. They were nice. They didn't, they didn't know anything about sin. Everything was good. And now they have fallen radically from that position. I want you to know something. It is impossible for us to even begin to comprehend how far they fell. Because all we know about humanity are these sinful bodies that we live in. But they experienced perfect righteousness. And now they've lost it. And their eyes are open to the pain and the sorrow that they are going through. And look what they do. This is so crazy. They knew that they were naked. The Holy Spirit departed from them. God said, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And they died spiritually that day. And a result of dying spiritually, they were naked. Their, their, their righteousness had departed from them. Uh, just tragic, right? And so look what they do. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. What is that? They tried to cover their spiritual nakedness by the works of their hands, sewing fig leaves together. And can I tell you something? We do the exact same thing today. I had a prostitute last night. This is, I'm not, not, I'm... (laughs) I had a prostitute last night. I got drunk. I messed up. It was Vegas. Oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna do better now. What are we doing? By the works of our hands, we're trying to cover our spiritual nakedness. Oh, I'm not gonna drink anymore, man. That's it. I'm gonna you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna I'm gonna make a donation. I'm gonna give 15 bucks to this charity. Uh, good for you. What are we trying to do? Cover our spiritual nakedness by the works of our hands. Folly, folly. Look what happens. Uh, They heard the sound of Yahweh Elohim walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh Elohim among the garden, among the trees of the garden. They went hiding how tragic this these beings that were created to be in fellowship with the creator of the universe the very highest level that you could ever be at the very highest thing anyone could ever attain to things that uh, are just too lofty to, I mean is created to be in a relationship with God and now they're hiding from God oh how tragic the fall How tragic. Question, Adam and Eve, why are you hiding? Didn't you make coverings for your nakedness? 
Well, it seemed right to Adam and Eve. It seemed logical in some way to try to cover their spiritual nakedness by the works, good works of their hands until they were in the presence of Yahweh Elohim. And suddenly they realized their covering was worthless. There are a lot of people who say, hey, I am confident when I stand before God, man. I do so much good work. I go to the soup kitchen once a week, and I gave a kidney to my brother, and uh, God is going to pat me on the back and welcome me and be glad I'm there when I finally get there. Man, I'm so good. (laughs) Buddy, you are fooling yourself, and that makes sense to you right now, but when you stand in the presence of Yahweh Elohim, you will hide because you are painfully aware of how naked you are. Um, Oh, how tragic this loss. Uh, Here's what I want you to see. The consequences of sin are horrific. Do not be deceived. They died spiritually. They lost their spiritual clothing. They're now separated from God. They're living in fear. They're hiding from God. Uh, They were once clothed. They were once the, the apple of God's eye, walking in fellowship with him. And now they are bankrupt. The wages of sin is death, and it carries such a high price. Sin often looks good and beneficial when we're being tempted. Uh, Satan was prompting them, yeah, go in, do it. You're going to like it. It's going to be great. Yeah, do it. It brought nothing but pain and death. Adam and Eve are broken. They're guilty. They're miserable. They're naked. They're condemned, and they're hurting. And I have a question for you. Where is Satan now as God's looking for them? Where's their buddy Satan? Oh, he doesn't want to talk to them now. He's no friend now. He doesn't care about them. He doesn't care about it. He hates man. And if you've ever watched anybody in addiction, he lures them in. Oh, it's going to be so fun. And then he gets them bound up and he lets them rot in their misery. He is cruel. And it is so sad. Sin destroys lives. Listen to me. If you are here and you are contemplating cheating on your spouse, you better ask Adam and Eve, was it worth it? If you are here and you are thinking about cheating on your taxes, you better ask Adam and Eve, was it worth it? If you are here and you are thinking about dabbling into sexual immorality, and you might as well ask Adam and Eve, hey, was it worth it? Look what happened. There's a way that seems right to a man, and it ends in death and destruction and brokenness and emptiness and heartache. And oh, how painful. God's ways work. God's ways work. Be careful if you're starting to love money. Be careful. Don't dabble in it. Ask Adam and Eve if it was worth it. Let this lesson go to your heart. God's ways work. And when you walk with Jesus as the Lord of your life, it will bring you abundant life. You'll you'll be born again. You'll have joy and peace. Obey Jesus and your life will be rich. It will be abundant. You'll be a better man. You'll be a better woman. You'll be a better lover. You'll be a better spouse. You'll be a better parent. You'll be a better leader. You'll be a better neighbor. You'll just be more full of joy. God's ways work. And when we walk in them they're a success and so may we be wise I am so thankful that God comes looking for them let's wrap up with these final verses I'm going to ask the men to prepare the elements to pass out verse 9 then 
the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Question, does God not know where Adam is? Hey, I've lost Adam. Anybody know where he is? No, God knows where Adam is. Why is God asking, where is Adam? Adam, where are you? Why? What's he looking for? Adam, excuse me, God is looking to see if Adam even cares. You see, Adam and Eve broke God's heart. I made all this for you. I had this dream of this relationship with you. I asked one small thing, just as a token of our relationship. Adam, do you even care? Do you even care? I had planned on going into this theological truth with you more, the theological truth of depravity, the human depravity. If you ever wanted to know what it means to be spiritually dead, I want to show you a picture of it right here. Here's what it means to be spiritually dead. Adam, where are you? And Adam answered and said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. Adam's guilt discovered and Adam's result of guilt is he's hiding, trying to make himself look better than he can, than he is. I, uh, I hid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God says, well, that's not really what I was looking for. So I'm going to ask another question. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree, which I commanded you that you should not eat? Does God not know these questions? Of course he knows the answers and know this whenever God asks you a question it's not for his benefit it's for yours hey Dave why'd you talk to your wife that way it's not that he doesn't know what's he telling me Dave you might want to think about that hey Dave why did you treat that person that way and here he's asking Adam and Eve because he's looking for something Adam do you even care when someone breaks your heart, when someone really hurts you, what's the one thing you want from them? Do you even care? Hey, I'm so sorry. Gosh, I, that's okay. I get it. I've done, no worries. I wonder how different things would have been if Adam and Eve would have said, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I was so insensitive. You gave me so much. I had no idea even how much, but now I do, and I've lost it. Lord, please help me. Do you know why they couldn't say that? Because they're spiritually dead. And this is how spiritually dead people love. You're going to see it. It's sad. Who told you you were naked? Have you taken from the tree? Verse 12. The man said, the woman you gave me. She gave me of the tree and I ate. Spiritually dead people miss the heart of love completely. And they blame their faults on other people. That's what spiritually dead people do. You can't respond in love in a relationship with God when you're spiritually dead. This is why you have to be born again. 
verse 13. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Did she care about God? Did she even have it on her radar that God's heart was broken? Hey, I want you to know you serve a living God. And you have emotions because God has emotions. And you have feelings because God has feelings. You're made in his image. And he cares. And when we sin, may we not look at him as a taskmaster who we have to do right. Oh, okay, I'll pay the penalty. Sorry. No, no, no. May we look at him as a lover who we broke his heart. You can only do that if you're born again. And this is what it looks like to be spiritually dead. This is what depra human depravity is. Jesus went, on a went to a cross in order to give us new life, in order to make us born again. We can't pursue him. We don't pursue him. If you are here today and you are feeling God's presence calling you, it is because not you or because you are seeking God, you are spiritually dead. And you won't answer any better than Adam and Eve unless God enables you and equips you and gives you life. And if he's offering you that right now, you would be wise to take it because you can never get it on your own. You can only get it if he gives it to you. If you would like to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you would like to ask him for forgiveness of your sins, if you would like to be born again, Jesus says, call on me. Uh, Psalm 145, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord in spirit and in truth, not in pretense and falsehood, but in spirit and in truth, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Say a prayer right where you are. Jesus, thank you so much for loving me. Even when I was a sinner, working in the enemy's camp I want to be born again I believe that you died on the cross because you loved me and I believe that you paid the penalty of my sin and I want to be born again I want your righteousness and given to me as a free gift Lord save me and help me to walk with you now as a new man as a new woman in Jesus name amen